0: 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11, part 3 of our look at living in love and forgiveness. Let's read this passage again. Verse 5 onwards, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order That Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So far, we've learned that obeying the Lord to live in love and forgiveness versus living in offense and bitterness is for our good. It actually is beneficial for us to live like this. This is not just, oh yeah, I want to live in love and forgiveness. This has actual benefits for you. There are numerous benefits for us individually and collectively when we extend forgiveness and when we receive forgiveness. It cleanses us. It allows us to live in peace. And so last week we focused particularly on the fact that when we are offended, When we are resentful, annoyed, or hurt because of a genuine or even a falsely perceived insult, slander, wrongdoing, somebody has said something against you, somebody has done something against you, and we get offended. When we think someone has wronged us and we break fellowship or relationship with them, we were reminded last week that all of that is where we are being snared into the devil's trap it is the bait of Satan it is the trap of Satan to cause us to break fellowship with somebody else and we are being deceived to divide to hate and judge one another when our pride and our selfishness are affected we react with outrage Isolation and retaliation, which results in our love growing cold. So instead of living in offense, the Bible teaches us that we can love and forgive others because the Lord first loved and forgave us. Because we have experienced such abundant love and forgiveness extended to us, Even after we had sinned and grieved the Lord. Paul is talking here about a person who may have grieved you. And we are those that have grieved the Lord considerably. And yet he extended love and forgiveness to us. And because we have uh, experienced that abundant love and forgiveness from God, we are called to extend that same love and forgiveness to others. So I want to just show you very quickly, in summary, here's what the Bible tells us about the outcomes of living in or not living in love and forgiveness. If you look at this list, there on the left side is all of the things that are true when we live in love and forgiveness. And then on the right are all the things that when we are living in hatred and unforgiveness. When we are living in love and forgiveness, we are free. We don't feel the burdens. We don't have this weight on us. We don't, we're not crushed. We're not pressed down. We're free. We have this freedom in Christ. When we live in love and forgiveness, we are gentle. We are able to reach out to others with a gentleness, with a softness about us. Otherwise, we are hard-hearted. We become bitter and envious and everything else, but we are primarily hard-hearted, and even the word of God, even the power of God, is, has difficulty penetrating us because why? We have hardened our hearts. When we live in love and forgiveness, we are compassionate. We don't judge the other person. We don't say, oh, look at that person. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they say. We're compassionate towards them. We say, oh. Whatever their circumstances, whatever they've gone through, whatever kinds of things, whatever their story, let me reach out to them, let me pray for them, let me be compassionate towards them. Jesus knew the heart of every person, and he knew who was, who was true and sincere and who was not. And yet, you see consistently, even going all the way up to the cross, he is compassionate. He is caring for the people, the very people who are crucifying him. He says what? Father, forgive them. That's the compassion of Christ. And so when we live in love and forgiveness, we are accepting of people. We don't reject them. We don't isolate them. We don't push them away. We accept them. We pull them in and pull them to the Lord. When we live in love and forgiveness, we are humble. We are humble because we experience the love of God. Because we know it's not because of ourselves, it's not because of our ability, it's not because of what we know, it's not because we are able to make something happen. We are humbled by the fact that the Lord chose to love us, that the Lord gives his love to us. We're not proud in our own capabilities, we're not boasting in our own self-righteousness. When we are living in love and forgiveness, we live in peace. We are peaceful, we're calm. You see a person who is angry and agitated? they're not experiencing the love and forgiveness of God and living in the love and forgiveness of God. When we are living in the love and forgiveness of God, we are joyful because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. He gives us his joy that then becomes our strength instead of causing us to be sorrowful. The Bible here, even in the passages we read, when we are not in the presence of God, when we don't know the Lord, we go into excessive sorrow, into depression, into anxiety, in all of the calamity of life and all of the circumstances of life overwhelming us. Instead, we have the joy of the Lord that is our strength that allows us to be overcomers. And so when we are living in love and forgiveness, we are healed. We're not broken. It's not that this hurt, this wound, this offense breaks us, but rather we go to the Lord and his blood cleanses us and heals us. We are able to live like that And when we are living in love and forgiveness, we are refreshed. We're not bitter. Our heart is not bitter all the time. The fruit of bitterness, the root of bitterness that grows in us that bears the fruit of bitterness is not helpful for us or for others. If you're a bitter person, if you're always angry, if you're always irritable, if you're always resentful, if you're always living like that, it'll just eat you up, and it'll destroy the people that you are associating with too. And so the Bible says that when we come to the Lord, when we live in Him, He refreshes us. He gives us living water. He cleanses us in such a way that we say, oh God, I have new life in you. That's the promise of the Lord. Now, you don't need any explanations to recognize that interacting regularly with others who are living in love and forgiveness is a whole lot better for your spirit, soul, and body than if you're interacting regularly with those who are living in hatred and unforgiveness. Just imagine if all the time you were living with people who were on the right side there of that, of that list. Right? If all the time you were interacting with people like that, and there are people in, in our lives around us who are, who are in that kind of circumstance. In the workplace in their families in their you know in all the places that they're going to this is their environment all the time and that there's no doubt about it that that will hurt you in your spirit in your soul and in your body but we are people who are called to be a church the body of christ who live on that left side who live on that column right who are living in love and forgiveness but the only way we can build a community that is characterized by love and forgiveness is if, as the Bible directs us, we are personally committed to remain humble, to be slow to anger, to be quick to listen, to keep no record of wrongs, to be willing to forgive even when it means that we will be hurt or taken advantage of, and to overlook offense. And, again, as the Bible makes clear, we cannot sustain that kind of humility, calmness, other-centeredness, and peace unless we are completely dependent on the Lord. I'll make this mention here and we'll come back to it at the end. That left side, that column there, is entirely dependent on us knowing the Lord Jesus. We cannot live like that. We try to do things and to be good to people And all of that is our horizontal sort of relationships. But unless that vertical relationship with the Lord, unless we know the Lord and are living with him and know him to be transforming us, you can't live like this. To live in love and forgiveness, we must be related to and reliant on a perfect God who loves and forgives us perfectly. As we depend on God, our love for him grows. We obey willingly. We imitate Christ And we are transformed into his image by the renewing of our minds, by the refreshing of our minds. Now, when Paul writes here in this passage that we ought to forgive and reaffirm our love for the one who has grieved us, what does that look like? In practical terms, what does that mean? How do we reaffirm our love for somebody who has offended us? It means that we must take deliberate action to love and forgive. Forgiveness happens when we intentionally and voluntarily allow God to change our feelings and our attitude regarding an offense or wrongdoing We let go of negative emotions such as revenge, I'm going to get back at this person, and we deliberately forgive the offender. We release the offense and the offender without requiring a penalty. Forgiveness then is a choice, a decision, not a feeling. Your feelings would not say to you, yeah, you should forgive. Your feelings will be, I should not forgive. But you make a decision. And you're saying, you're making a commitment to say, I will forgive by the power of the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness is our choice. And when we forgive, we're not judging the other person's sin. That is left between them and God. Instead, we are dealing with the outcome of their sin. We're saying, here's a person who's a sinner. I'm a sinner too, but here's a person who's a sinner. And I am not judging them. I am looking at the outcome of their actions, of their sin, and I'm going to release that offense. I'm going to release this offender. I'm going to forgive. So how do we take deliberate action to love and forgive? So I want to go through some practical steps. I'm going to go through just some steps here when we put out the sermon notes i'll put these steps in there too this is not up on the screen here but i just want you to pay attention and then understand that what the call here is to take deliberate action forgiveness doesn't happen by accident it doesn't happen because you wake up one day and say mm, i think i'll forgive that person and then everything just you know everything is great you have to take some deliberate actions you have to take you have to be very intentional about saying, Lord, help me to forgive, help me to live out this forgiveness. So the first thing is that you would make a list of all the people in your life who have offended you, who have hurt you, or who have sinned against you. And you can literally just pray along these lines. Some of you are smiling already. (laughs) You're thinking, oh, I need a big book. No, no, don't, don't, don't think like that. Pray along these lines. Heavenly Father, please bring to my mind the people you want me to forgive and put on this list. Maybe it's three names. Maybe it's five names. But just ask the Lord. And say, Lord, help me right now, very deliberately, to list out these names maybe it's more than five names but don't don't be overwhelmed by that maybe there's been hurt for 20 30 50 years in your life maybe there's hurt from another church maybe there's hurt from your family members close family members and you start to write down this list and you start getting angry and you feel the pain All those things that you had put aside for some time that you said, oh, I'm not even going to think about this. You start praying like this and all of a sudden all these emotions start coming up. But again, that's just the first step to say to the Lord, Lord, you show me who I need to even list up. Make a list. Then. List the actual offense, the hurt or the sin done to you by that person. Be specific, but you don't have to be exhaustive. You're not trying to go back 10 years and say, on April 2nd, you know, 1995, they did this to me. You know, this is not the point. You're just, again, saying, what is it that I'm specifically hurt about? What are the one or two or three things that, that this person has really hurt me? I, want, I, I list that out. I, I'm... Just making a list here of these critical and maybe more recent offenses not going back many years but at least to think about that but you're praying through this this is all done in prayer this is not done in yourself let me make a list no no it's Lord you show me what I should do right let me list this out by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not interested in hurting you or in hurting the other person. The Holy Spirit is not reminding you of some person and their offense so that you can say, oh yeah, this person, I almost forgot about that. You know? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me. No, no. The Holy Spirit is going to bring to mind that which you need to take action on yourself for your good and ultimately for the other person's good too. So pray like that. Pray with all sincerity and say, Lord, you show me. Show me what I should do. Then, now, now it starts to get personal. Now use list. Now, you may have columns. You may do this on a spreadsheet. I don't know how you want to do this. You, you figure it out. But now you have, now you start to list out any past or present negative feelings that you have towards this offender. Not what they did to you. Not why you, you know, feel justified that they, are, you know, they have offended you, but you start to list out what you did, how you have reacted, all the negative feelings that you have towards this offender. List any judgments that you have made against this offender. Oh, they're a terrible person. You know? What kind of judgments, what kind of curses, what kind of things have you spoken against this person? What have you said? Oh, you know, I hope that they regret what they've done. Have you done those kinds of things? List it out. List what you have done. Just list out and ask the Holy Spirit, oh Lord, help me show me where I have been unkind. I have not shown grace. I have not been loving. This person truly hurt me, but I have not responded according to your word. I have done these things and list them up. Then List any lie, any ungodly belief about God, yourself, or your offender that you've been holding on to. And these kinds of ungodly beliefs include things like, oh, they will never change. You know, how many many times have you said that? How many times have you thought about a person who has hurt you and you say, they will never change? Or you say, "Uh, I don't think I can ever forgive them. Or you say, God you're not fair how come this person got away with this they hurt me they did this they spoke to everybody else everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing everybody thinks I did the wrong thing I kept quiet you're not fair God every one of those statements are ungodly beliefs because the Bible has a counter to every one of those statements Bible doesn't say do all of those things The Bible doesn't say things will never change Try your best, things will never change, but at least you'll feel better. No. The Bible says that the Lord can transform, and he does. So when we list out our ungodly beliefs, we're saying, Oh Lord, here's all the ways in which I have been thinking that are contrary to the word of God. As you're doing this, as you're praying like this, you have to decide, you have to determine not to get back at the offender. Especially when you list these things out, you say, Oh, You know, and maybe they took advantage of you monetarily or in some material way. You don't say, oh, they owe me, you know, $3,232.15. I'm going to get that back. No, that's not what you're doing. So you're not looking to get back at them. You're not looking to demean them. You're not looking to verbally attack them. Nothing. You're just listing these things. So that you have a clear picture before the Lord and you say, Lord God, I need you to move. I need you to live. I need you to do this in me in a way that is going to make a difference. So then, after having done all of that, you pray and you release everything to God. Once again, you've got to decide how that will happen before the Lord and you but I encourage you to pray along these lines. Just pray and say, Lord, because you told me to cast my cares on you, because you told me not to, ca- to carry my burdens like this, to carry these offenses and hurts, because you told me to cast my negative emotions and thoughts and to take captive my thoughts, because you told me not to be judgmental, not to carry judgments of others. Because you told me not to believe in the lies that the devil would speak to me. Because you told me not to be contrary to your word. I release these offenses and this person to you. I acknowledge that I have sinned against you by not forgiving those you who have offended me. I have sinned against God when I didn't forgive that person. I repent. And ask you for your forgiveness. You see, unless we start there. Unless we go to the Lord and say, Lord God, you forgive me first. Let me experience your forgiveness. I repent of my sin. How in the world are you going to be able to show forgiveness to the other person? How in the world will you pray for that person to be able to come to the Lord to repent and to be restored? You have to come to him first and say, Lord God, I have sinned. I have sinned. And I am asking you to forgive me. And I also acknowledge my inability to forgive this person without you, apart from you. I cannot forgive them. In my strength, I cannot. So I acknowledge that. And so from my heart, I choose to forgive. I choose to obey your word. I choose to reaffirm my love to this person. I bring under the blood of Jesus... All that they have done wrong to me. I release this person. They no longer owe me anything. I remit their sins against me. I pray that your forgiveness will come to those who have sinned against me. I ask that you bless them and lead them into a closer relationship with you. You're not just praying for yourself, but you're praying truly, sincerely. Not just also that you will be able to go and say, I forgive you. But you're praying truly, sincerely, that they will be blessed. You're praying for their well-being. That person that has hurt you terribly, you're praying for them to be restored in the Lord. You're praying for them to prosper. Can you do that? Oh, it's tough. It's tough. But the Lord can help us to do this. So that finally, our final step in this practical step would be to say, I release. You do You know, you're taking that very deliberate action, having gone through these steps, praying this way. You say, I release. Say it out loud. I release this person. I'm going to let this offense and the offender be given to the Lord. I'm no longer going to hold to it. Once you have forgiven someone, here comes the difficult part. You have to continue to love and forgive. You can't just do this one time and say, I'm good. I've done it. I did my part. Now they didn't do their part, so I'm off the hook. No. The Bible says you've got to live. Not just one time. Not just, you know, saying, okay, I listed my top ten offenders. I've taken care of them. It says you have to live in love and forgiveness. You have to continue in this. Oh, that sounds difficult right away. Once you have taken a deliberate action before the Lord to forgive someone, if it's possible, reach out to that person to let them know that you forgive them and that you're seeking to reconcile and restore a relationship with them if and only if reconciliation is warranted. This may not be possible. may not be always possible based on the specific circumstances of what you've gone through it may not be possible to have reconciled with that person or that person may be dead I can tell you without any any hesitation that when you start to pray like this the Holy Spirit may prompt you about somebody who died quite some time ago even but you have resentment in your heart towards that person maybe a close family member maybe a friend maybe somebody else and you need to even even if that person is dead to say Lord I I give away this offense I cast this on you I don't want to keep carrying this and you're you don't have an opportunity to reconcile directly with that person but you have an opportunity to let go of the offense and so as you come to the Lord in these ways if the person cannot be reached if the person does not respond to you, you may not have an opportunity to reconcile. But, and, and, by the way, when you reach out to somebody and you say, hey, I, I forgive you. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm, I've gone to the Lord, I've prayed, and the Holy Spirit has, has cleansed me, and I forgive you. They may not accept your forgiveness. They may say to you, what do you mean that you forgive me? You're making it sound like it's my fault. You're the one who hurt me. You're the one in the wrong. So who are you to come and, you know, say, you forgive me? In fact, if you read articles and you look at the things around you, there's a whole psychological and other kind of therapeutic and other kinds of charge against the church that says, oh, Christians are making themselves feel like they are somehow better than to say, oh, I forgive you. This is not not what the Bible is talking about. It's not so that we would be better than somebody else. We would present ourselves like that. See, I'm such a good person that I forgave you. No, this is sincerely, genuinely coming to that person and saying, you know, whatever wrongs there have been. The things that I have committed to you, I I, I ask you for your forgiveness. But those things that hurt me and offended and did all that, I forgive you too. It's to come with that tone. It's to come with that humility. It's to come with that love of the Lord. And sometimes when we go to the person, it just may be a wrong timing. Don't just rush. Don't, don't just rush to somebody and say, I forgive you. you. know, Maybe the wound has just taken place yesterday. Maybe you need to wait a little bit. Maybe you need to wait on the Lord. You need to receive that cleansing. You need to let the Lord speak to that person. And then you go as the Lord would lead you. And you say, let's have a conversation. But all this has to be done because you're paying attention to the Lord. But here's the important point for you to remember. Whether you can or you cannot connect with the person. Whether you're able to reconcile or not. Whether they accept your forgiveness or not. Or even if you never see them again in your life. Do all that you need to do from your side. Follow these steps to forgive them and maintain that attitude of forgiveness you will free up yourself you will be amazed you will be maybe you've already encountered this but you will feel the relief and the release that the Lord will bring when you let this go you've been carrying this for so long that you've gotten used to it and when you let it go you go oh my gosh wow what a freedom I thought I had forgiven somebody in my life, and I woke up in the middle of the night one night at 2 a.m., because in my, night, in my sleep, I had a dream where I was yelling at that person. And I woke up, and I said, oh, my God, I thought I forgave this person. This person has died, you know? and, I thought, and I said, I've, I thought I forgave this person, but, oh, Lord, deep inside somewhere, I'm still angry. And I prayed that night, 2 a.m., sitting up in, the, in my bed. I prayed and I said, oh, God, you've got to cleanse me. I'm releasing this. All the things that this person did, all the things that this person said, all the people that this person influenced. Oh, I give it all to you, Lord. I forgive. I genuinely, sincerely forgive. And I ask you to come and have your way. I've never had that issue since then. It's been many years now. But I praise God for the freedom that he brought in that regard. That doesn't mean I'm right with every single person in my life, but at least with that person, oh, there was a freedom. There was a release. Oh, praise God. So when I'm saying this to you, I I often say this to you, but when I say these things to you, it starts first with me, right? I, I, I have to live this out. I have to pay attention to this. And that means that we have to maintain love and forgiveness. We have to live in love and forgiveness. Now, I need to go through a few more points here. Let me just tell you some of the difficulties that we encounter. I'm going to move through these things very quickly. This is just simply to make the point. We'll talk about a little bit more about this on Wednesday during the sermon discussion. But the difficulty that we face in maintaining forgiveness in living in love and forgiveness, is because of some very legitimate scenarios. And, and I'm not minimizing any of them. So here's a question. What if the person has done something illegal? What if they've done something immoral? What if they've some, done something destructive? What if they've done something outright evil? They've done these kinds of things. So forgiveness is not condoning. It's not that you're saying, oh, I don't, I don't see the offending action. I'm not denying the issue that has taken place. Forgiveness is not excusing. We're holding the person responsible. If they've done something illegal, they've got to account for it in the, in, in the legal system. You can't just say, as I was preparing, there was a story that I was reading of this Guatemalan nun who was raped, and the rapist after they did this said, you are a nun, you need to forgive us. That's not forgiveness. So we're not talking about that kind of behavior. They have to be held accountable. That has to be reported. There has to be a legal action taken against those people. That, but for, So forgiveness is not excusing those kinds of actions. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We don't merely say, oh, let's just forget about it. No, forgiveness is not that. When you forgive someone, it doesn't automatically mean that what happened didn't happen. You have to still deal with the consequences of it. Forgiveness is not cordiality. It's not just saying, okay, hi, how are you? All? Let's get along. Let's hug it out. Right? It's not just that. It's not doing something you know, superficial. That's just sweeping things under the rug. Forgiveness is not appeasement. It's not saying to them, let's just you know, call it a truce. You, know, you stay in your corner. I'll stay in my corner. We just won't fight with each other. Right? It's not just appeasement. And forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. You may not be able to reconcile with this person who has done downright evil. So when you release, when you say, God, I forgive, it doesn't mean that everything will just be okay immediately. right? So just remember that. But as we do this, there's the next question that comes up. Okay, it's not illegal, it's not immoral, it's not all of that. You have forgiven this person. What if this person hurts you again? What if they sin and then repent? and then come back to you and say can you forgive me and then they do it again well jesus said to to peter forgive 70 times 7 again not keeping track don't make that on your list item number 400 item number 490 <laughs> they've run out 491 no forgiveness he said forgive 70 times 7 as the ultimate extent as the limitless way in which you have to live in love and forgiveness that you would be willing to say I don't keep a record of wrongs I don't know if this person hurt me ten times or ten thousand times I will forgive what if the person never changes you entrust them to God you continue to pray for them you continue to reaffirm God's love for them you continue to reaffirm your love for them. And what if, when you forgive, your feelings don't change? What if you still feel angry? What if you're still waking up in the middle of the night remembering your anger? What if your emotions are still affecting you? Your feelings may not change very quickly, but you've got to trust God. The one that transforms us by the renewing of our mind will affect our emotions also. He works in our spirit and our soul, our mind, our intellect, our will, our emotion, our memory, and in our bodies. All those damages that have been caused in your body because of anxiety, fear, anger, resentment, all that stuff working in you, God is able to heal that too. But it will take us depending on him and being patient in him and saying, Lord God, let my emotions come in line with what you want. You know, all these things that I'm saying to you I want to close with this that we respond and apply the Word of God that we have heard by being led of the Holy Spirit forgiveness paves the way to freedom in all other ministry and relationship areas it breaks the negative spiritual bond between individuals or groups releasing both sides into freedom if you're not living in forgiveness you will find it impossible to minister to others effectively or to receive ministry yourself. Let me say that again. If you're not living in love and forgiveness you will find it very difficult, really impossible to minister to somebody else or to receive ministry. You will find these barriers are hindering you and affecting you. If you're not living in forgiveness in love and forgiveness with one person, you will find that it ends up affecting your relationship with all others. It'll have a negative influence. And so I want to encourage you that this morning, you respond to this word by saying, Holy Spirit, you've got to live in me. You've got to move through me. You've got to make this change in me. You've got to transform me. For my sake, yes, but for the sake of this person, for the sake of the body of Christ. We are called into fellowship as the children of God who are united in the same Heavenly Father, and yet churches have split, people have divided. We have come against each other, biting and devouring and being nasty to one another, when instead we should be living in love and forgiveness. The church should be characterized by that and the church should be recognized for that. Will we do it perfectly? No. But think about how much has been caused by offense. How many things have happened not because of true doctrinal differences but because of personal offense. How many things have broken apart and divided in our families. And like I said right at the beginning it is the devil's snare. It is the devil's scheme it is the devil's trap why because the devil wants to kill to steal and to destroy the devil wants to destroy our families the devil wants to destroy the church the devil wants to destroy communities what is the antidote what is the counter to all of the things that the devil would do it's not in our strength for us to come back and depend on the Lord Jesus and to say Lord God because you have loved me because you have forgiven me because you have been good to me oh Lord God help me to do this help me to do this help me to live in love and forgiveness oh church this is my prayer for our church this is my challenge to us as a church that we would live like this that we would love like this that we would forgive like this this week Maybe it's only one person that you will set something right with. Maybe it's more, maybe 10, maybe 20. I don't know. But this week, apply this word and say, Lord God, you've got to help me. You've got to help me to lay all these burdens down. you got to help me to cast my cares. You've got to help me to live in love and forgiveness, to maintain this, to let the power of the Lord Jesus redeem. To let the blood of the Lord Jesus cleanse me and cleanse this person. To let the Holy Spirit come and be over all of these circumstances. So that all these things will now work together for good, not for evil. What the devil intended for harm, oh Lord you have turned it around. What he tried to do to break us apart, oh we have come back stronger together. Offenses will come, Jesus said. He didn't say when you live like this, then offenses will stop. He said offenses will come. Offenses will come. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to respond? There's only one right way to respond. And we would say, oh God, come. Come and have your way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to live in love and forgiveness in a way that transcends our understanding. Lord, we can't even figure out how to do this. But Lord, it's not because of our strength. It's not because of our horizontal relationships and capabilities. It's because of that vertical connection to you, almighty God. It's to come to you as our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Father, our Redeemer, our Cleanser. Oh, our our source of love and forgiveness. So that as you do this work in us, oh Lord God, we would in turn love and forgive others. Come Lord Jesus, come and have your way. Come and have your way. Come and do this in a way that transcends our, our meager capabilities. We cannot do this in our strength. We are fully dependent on you. And Lord, right now I pray for our church. I pray for everybody listening to this message. I pray that even now, in response to this word, that Lord, you, Holy Spirit, would bring to mind at least one person, maybe more, for whom, to whom we need to, Lord, seek forgiveness. Make that happen this week, Lord even if we're not able to reach out to that person directly, let us, from our side, let all this go. Free us, Lord. Next week, when we come together, let us hear the testimonies of the release that you brought. Lord God, come. Do this work in us. Come and make us holy, because you are holy. Come, Lord. Help us to live like this because you lived like this. Come, Lord. Come and fill us. We pray in Jesus' name.